Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Argentina is the land of Los Fabulosos Cadillacs, who are one of the biggest ska bands in the world. But the group didn't emerge in isolation. The history of ska in Argentina is a topic that deserves its own episode. So today we dive into this fascinating history by talking with Daniel Flores, who wrote a book on the subject back in 2013. It's called Manera Correcta de Gritar. He also plays in the ska band Satellite Kingston and Daniel Flores and the Roomba Box. Plus, he works as an editor at Rolling Stone Argentina, so he's the perfect person to give us an in-depth crash course on Argentinian ska. Ska is a lot bigger in Latin America than it is here, right, Aaron? Sure is, yeah. I mean, every time we talk to an artist from somewhere in uh, Latin America, their idea of a small show is like a thousand people. Could you imagine? <laughs> Our Scott band's not that big. We only draw a thousand people. Yeah. Can you imagine that being that being the, the number that you're concerned about? <laughs> Definitely, it's been good for us to have these musicians on, these artists. I like giving a, a more uh, international perspective. So you're friends with uh, Jorge Pezimente of who used to be in Pie Tasters and currently is in uh, Loving Poppers. Indeed, yes. I, I won't deny that. Yes, uh, we're friends. <laughs> I won't deny. <laughs> That's good. Now, I heard you guys met in uh, Brazil. Is that true? It is true, but uh, it is also true that we actually met without actually meeting uh, some years before that because I actually got to see the Decepticons, his previous band, you know, before the Pie Tasters in Virginia, somewhere out there, this uh, Scafest, it must have been early 90s, I remember what year specifically, but uh, but I did I, I did see once the Decepticons, um, but we yeah we more properly met in Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, when the Pie Tasters played there, and I was I must have been on tour with uh, Satellite Kingston, which is my band from Buenos Aires, Argentina, and after the Pie Tasters played Sao Paulo. Jorge actually stayed, you know, in the country for in, in, in town actually for for like a week after that, and so did some some of us from Satellite. So we got to hang out, and as you know, 
Jorge was actually born in Argentina. I think he his family moved to uh, D.C. when he was like a year old or maybe less than that. And um, mm-hmm. so that, you know, and since I spent a few years as well in, D- in the D.C. area, not in D.C. itself, but in the, in the area, uh, you know, there was kind of a connection. I did, you know, I'd seen the pie tasters before Jorge was in the band also. But at a point, I, I, the Pie Tasters put out um, a DVD, a live DVD. I won't recall the name, but it was an official live DVD when those things uh, existed. And, uh, and there was a picture of them on the cover. And what, what do you know? That when, you know the, the bass player had a River Plate uh, T-shirt. I mean, you know, River Plate is one of the most popular um, football soccer teams in Argentina, and, ah. and so you know, I, I was I was kind of shocked. You know, is this this you know, there's a guy from the Pythesus who's from Argentina, and well, that was Jorge. Yes, interesting. Okay, yeah, he he told me that you guys met in uh, Sao Paulo and. Um... That you guys connected right away, and that you gallivanted through the town, drinking and hitting up every karaoke bar you could find. Oh, uh, did he say that? Okay, um, it must have been. I <laughs> don't recall all of it, but uh, yes, it was. It was. I mean, Sao Paulo is such a fun town, and you know, both our bands were. You know, it's. Think of this: we are on tour. Uh, but actually, we are not on tour because this is after actually doing our jobs. This is free time, so it's free time off the tour. So it's you know the best of the of, of two worlds, I guess. And if you add to that combination that you are in Sao Paulo and you are twenty something early, uh, you're <laughs> in for <laughs> for something. For quite something, and if one of those people is Jorge, well, then <laughs> the table is set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're really in for something. Yeah. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, uh, what would the, uh, it? That would be. Uh, I'd say it's a bit lost in translation, but I, I would say something from Elvis Costello. I guess. You know, okay. the, the kind of music I, lo- I, I, I love the most, you know, you probably won't find it in, in any, any uh, normal karaoke. So, <laughs> Oh, for sure. But there's, there's always something in a karaoke catalog. You got to have one kind of on lock, ready to go. Yeah. Because yeah. it won't be like your favorite music, but you have to pick whatever is going to be in that catalog. Yeah. And that, in, in, into that, whatever, I would say, I don't know, only the strong will survive. The Elvis mm-hmm. Presley song, uh, version, yeah. I guess that that, that mm. could be, yeah, or yeah, there may be some other uh, Elvis in Memphis, you know, area era kind of you know tune. The the soulful Elvis that that'd be my whatever thing, yeah. Yeah, well, I know it was a while ago, but do you remember anything that Jorge sang? Probably the same. <laughs> no, well, you know, you know, Jorge. He, you know, he besides sky and soul, he, you know, he plays in this in the, in the leg warmers, which is a very, uh, very good uh, '80s cover band. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, you know, it must have been, you know, Motley Crue, maybe Van Halen, that kind of, a, you know, early hair metal. That's fun. Kind of vibe. Yeah, that, that's that's his thing. His thing, as far as I know, of course. The only time I killed it at karaoke was when I sang uh, Somebody's Baby by Jackson Brown. Okay. That's that made famous by the Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. How, how can you tell that that it was so good because of the the, the crowd reaction? <laughs> yeah, got crazy, and I hit I I hit that chorus well. I think that's all. It's, that song's all about hitting that chorus well. Yeah, that is right. And yeah, I try, every, other songs I've tried at karaoke, not great. One time I tried uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, and that was just oof. Oh, I just knew a minute it's in. So long, the wrong choice. I know exactly. <laughs> I was like, what was I thinking? And I got to just like suffer through this whole thing. <laughs> what about you adam oh uh i did tainted love once at a at it, they had karaoke between bands at a show once that we were playing and it was like a halloween party so everybody was in costumes too so i <laughs> ran around the room and scared oh, it was a wireless mic too so i ran around the room and did tainted love and freaked everybody <laughs> the fuck out the thing is i i I know why Jorge remembers well that that the, 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 those karaoke uh, wild nights in Sao Paulo because it was actually at a very 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 special place in Sao Paulo in in Libertad. Libertad is the Japanese neighborhood in Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo has one of the largest Japanese communities in the world, outside of Japan and. San Francisco, I guess, and and the, and then there was this very special place, this bar with karaoke, but 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 a lot more. I mean, it, it was a great great hangout, kind of a mythical place. But it, it closed down. I'm, I'm I'm sorry to say, I don't think Jorge knows this. It's gonna be break his heart, but uh, we 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 can say we we were there. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so what else did they have besides karaoke? What made it so special? It was this kind of a kind of a glamorous bar, like taken from a from from a movie, you know, from a, like Lost in Translation kind of uh, thing, you know. Uh, and yeah. and it became kind of a cool hangout also in Sao Paulo, and you you know you had all this uh, I don't know like after office uh, kind of you know people from. Uh, you know, from like advertising agencies, <laughs> would 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 go for drinks after work there, and musicians and crazy people also, and I don't know, it was kind of a mixed crowd, kind of a bit bohemian, a bit cool, a bit exotic, I guess, and on top of that, ska musicians, so you know, you cannot go wrong, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Now you guys at a later time you guys toured together with uh, Kaz Gardner is that right? That is right. Yeah. Um, okay. Since you know we 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 met in in Sao Paulo that must be in early I don't know two thousand and eight maybe. Yeah. And but after that since you know since, since Jorge has a connection with Argentina and some some family i guess here um at the time he was playing with Kaz originally from the checker caps right and and this uh other musician uh jorge 
this other Jorge, not Jorge Pesmet, but, but Jorge bass player, Jorge Banales, uh, also ska musicians from ska reggae musicians from uh, from Virginia, and so they came to to Buenos Aires and we we did tour, we did you know played in town and outside of town also with like a week, 10 days of touring with a local drummer, me on keyboards and chasm vocals and both Jorge's in guitar and bass. Um, it was a great time. They, we actually did it twice with Cas, once with Jorge, the next one without Jorge. Um, mm. But we, we had a blast also here, <laughs> yeah. Um, and since I, on the other hand, I do still have relatives in, in the DZ area and I keep, you know, traveling not, not, not as frequently as I would love to, but, you know, every other year. Um, we did hang out also in DC. We didn't get to do any shows in DC, actually. Um, that's kind of a thing for me, you know, I... I, I I, you know, I spent my high school years in the DZ area, and that was kind of a big influence on on a lot of things I did afterwards until now. But I never actually got to play live in DC or in America at all. That's crazy because oh, wow. I I did play yeah. around a lot, but never in the DZ area. So maybe the time will come. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it should. I don't know. I want to talk about DC, but real, real quick. So Kaz, she's like a soul singer, I think, but she also, I think, had a project with Jorge called Kaz and the Day Laborers that was more reggae. Exactly. Yeah, kind of a, a you know what what some people call early reggae and rock steady as well. Is that the project that um you you toured with him with was the yeah that is the project we we toured together and we even did some recording uh, here in. At a, at a friend's studio here in, in, in Buenos Aires. And and after that, uh, Cass did a solo album. And a lot of the keyboards in that I played. It was... Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, this was Cass without Jorge Pesimentvien. But, but it was produced by and or mixed not produced but mixed by victor rice oh nice which is a, another good friend we, uh, we we actually this is funny we all you know victor is another good friend of mine and we met also in sao paulo he, he was part of that initial uh, sao paulo uh hangout session not really that that was a lot before meeting jorge we met we met ah. we met with victor uh, actually, in 1998, when he was, I think he was sitting, not playing with, a, you know, uh, regularly with the toasters, but sitting in because the bass player couldn't could make it to to a South American tour. So the toasters and Satellite Kingston, again, we both played in Sao Paulo. We shared the, the same bill, actually. Um, and we, we, well, we all met at that time, but that was a life-changing experience, I guess, for Victor because he didn't stay there for for good, you know, right after the show. But actually, he 
completed the tour, went back to the States, but he, he'd already, you know, already made his mind to go back to Sao Paulo to, you know, to, to live there or try living there. And, you know, up until today, he is, and he loved, he, he fell in love with the city just as, you know, as I did, really. I didn't stay in Sao Paulo, but I kept going back there either to play with Satellite Kingston or to visit or to do other other projects or to play with local musicians. Um, I don't know. There, there's something about Sao Paulo. It, really, it kind of captures you. I remember Victor used to say that um, that Sao Paulo reminded him of uh, New York in the 70s. For some people, that would be that that would be scary, I guess. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but it, it was on you know on the contrary for him it was it, it was like a like the perfect excuse. I mean, what he was actually looking for, you know, in terms of uh, inspiration or you know the kind of environment he wanted to live in, and he actually when he stayed in Sao Paulo, he chose it. Uh, you know, Sao Paulo is a big city, one of the biggest cities in the world, and it's also very rough, especially downtown. And that's where he landed. Actually, he rented a flat in you know in the very heart of, of Sao Paulo, which is the you know the the it's also the the, the most dangerous uh, area. Maybe not anymore now, but when you know when we're, we're talking about late. 90s early 2000 well it was it was quite something really so you you went to high school in washington dc so that this was early 90s uh no late 80s and it was actually late 80s yeah mclean virginia um but of course you know in terms of fly music and scenes it was the it was dc everything was happening in dc not not a lot going on in mclean virginia um but but yeah you know so my first shows were 9 30 club 50 minute club the the bayou uh bc space uh what else uh, the barbecue wanna i don't know a lot of places that don't exist anymore well, the 930 Club exists, but it but it's something else. It's a different location. It's ten times bigger than than what it was. It would, you know, used to be a, a. If I if I recall well, it was the capacity was was no more than two hundred people, really. Mm. Yeah, I don't think so. And but they, you know, and it was it was very eclectic. Music-wise, but um, so you know, I would go to hardcore matinees, or you know, even you know, at, at that time you had all you know the the industrial techno wax tracks craze, and I, I was I would be into that also, and all all, all kinds of music. But uh, you know, I, I the most fun the the most fun I had was always at ska shows especially the 930 club held once a year well obviously the um, what did they, they i think they called it the the super bowl of ska which wasn't like a full day kind of 
festival, indoor festival, very sweaty kind of situation um, with all these bands, some of them very good, some of them maybe not that great, uh, but uh, but it was it was so much fun. It was that I was really hooked to it. Uh, this is before third wave, or or maybe when it was beginning. The third wave was only starting to 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 grow, or but it wasn't even called third wave. I, I don't think. Yeah, what were? Can you remember any of the bands that played on one of these uh, Super Bowl of ska uh, events? Well, certainly the Toasters. I think I've seen uh, Bim Scalabim around, uh, but more, you know, locally the Skunks, of course, which is, I think it's the band that I've seen most of the times. That that could have been early '90s more than late '80s, but I'm not sure. Um, who else? Uh, well, the Pie Tasters as well, of course. Um, and then there was one. I, I think it was it was actually the 930 Club's DJ band. It was called uh, Scatley Crew. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that would be in the the second group of bands I mentioned earlier. Uh, the, the, the not so memorable, and they, you know, you probably guessed they played uh, Motley Crew songs in ska style. That didn't came out. <laughs> didn't come out so so great but it was a lot of fun and it was a local you know it was a it was a club's dj so everyone loved him and he could get away with it did uh did they dress like motley crew i don't recall but yeah well this guy certainly because he you know that that's the way he dressed every year every day actually so it was you know (laughs) (laughs) so he didn't dress up or anything especially for the show but it it was a time when you had a dread settling so I guess they, they 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 took the concept from from that. Do you remember uh, Dread Zeppelin? Yeah, Dread Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. My uh, my band, yeah, my band opened for Dread Zeppelin once. All right, scary. <laughs> yeah, now, they they were fun. I mean, yeah, they were fun, and it was such a weird concept because it was like Led Zeppelin, reggae, and there was like an Elvis. I think there was a third component. Yeah, what Elvis? Yeah, Elvis, I was like, why, why Elvis? The singer yeah. was this this this. <laughs> extra large uh elvis impersonator and he had um like clearly fake chops um <laughs> mutton chops on his on his like that were like pasted on there they weren't even meant to look good like no 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 they they would do goofy as, as hell i mean and the same thing yeah. with uh with the scotley crew but uh i don't know they probably pray only once and here we are remember <laughs> yeah <laughs> recalling the <laughs> The experience they, they they probably forgot about it, but um, it was also at times where I, I don't know. The, again, maybe they are still playing, but war, you know the uh, G W A R. Yeah, Guar. Uh-huh. Uh, they they were also from Virginia, and uh, and you know the this concept theatrics uh, kind of band that are supposed to be. Well, they, they, they're supposed to, and they are funny to a point and I don't know maybe the joke is not meant to last that long maybe but uh, <laughs> but, but uh, at a time and you're 14 15 year old it just blows your mind 
it really blows your mind, you know. Did you see Guar play back in those days? I don't think so, no. But they did play the 930 Club, but uh, I don't know. I, I was pretty scared, you know. <laughs> it's like, again, from a teenager uh, perspective, that, that, that was... That was scary, really. Uh, but uh, yeah, the good times. I thought the nine thirty <laughs> club was well, that was so generous. I mean, I've seen all kinds of things. Um, but uh, for the more underground stuff, you had to move, on, you know, to the fifteen minute club, to the barbecue one, to DC space, that kind of places for the more like the Discord. You know the Discord label bands, which I was also into. Um, there was other kind of venues, or you know, the 930 Club. It was small, but uh, but you know, the the it was more for the larger college rock names. You know. So, what led you to? Do I assume your family moved to Washington D.C. for a little while, and then? Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the classic story of, you know, my, my father was at the time was, uh, you know, he was working for the Argentine embassy in D.C. Yeah. So we, we were there for uh, three years, a bit less than three years. So when you when that's your job, you know, uh, uh, you know, you you're coming back home after a while, <laughs> after a few years. After your mission, as they call it, ends, so we came back to to Buenos Aires and got into college. And I thought of, you know, the first years I, I kept thinking I was, I was, uh, my destiny was to <laughs> come back to uh, to go back to the states, but it never actually happened. I got a job here, which I liked, and which is, you know, what I wanted to do at a at a newspaper after studying uh, journalism, so I stay for good. I, I always travel a lot, not only to the States, but to a lot of places, and, but never actually went back to live in D.C. I, you know, uh, I started working as a travel writer and then travel editor at a newspaper. So I got to travel a lot, and, and I needed less, I guess, to you know, to relocate permanently uh, either in the States or anywhere else. Um, and then Satellite Kingston was also a big excuse to stay in Buenos Aires for good. Um, uh, so I stayed and here I am. Uh, Satellite Kings Kingston has been going on for, uh, I think, 25 years. And you, um, your current job now is uh, with Rolling Stone in Argentina, right? It is, yes. Yes, I'm the chief editor. We call it director, but I think it makes more sense to, to, to say chief editor. Um, I've been doing that for uh, for the last three years, right before the pandemic. A great time to cover yeah. live music and yeah, great <laughs> and tours. Um, yeah, it was kind of. Uh, Kind of difficult, but um, but yeah, yeah, it's a it's a cool job. Well, you know, um, I never, you know, being a journalist, I never actually wanted to work in music journalism because I was I was really active with my with Satellite Kingston, my band, and and always 
I always had all these other projects and all these friends in the in in the industry and to be a to be a journalist would be you know to be on both sides of the counter we would say in spanish and mm. it didn't make a lot of sense really i wasn't eager to be doing or editing or writing uh critiques of my colleagues work <laughs> you know um so i i, I you know being a, a music lover and a, and a musician you know even though it, it could have been natural to go into music journalism i didn't it, it it didn't feel right i guess and since i had this other job i i liked very much i i didn't need to so um i i did write music books but that i did not as a job not yeah not that prof i mean i i think I was professional enough doing it, but but not for for a big uh, publishing house or anything more more like independent uh, kind of projects. I was scanning some of your uh, writing for Rolling Stone, and uh, you wrote a piece uh, when Terry Hall passed. Having said that, that I prefer not to write about music professionally for some years. Now that Sadelita Kingston is not so active, and and, and myself, I'm not so active in the, in the, as, as a musician, although, although I am to a point. Um, it, it felt it felt right now to do uh, music journalism. I don't write much. I'm, I'm more of an editor, really. But when huh. when when there is a news such as the death of uh, of Terry Hall, well, you know, it's only natural for me to to take the job and do it myself and, bring in the ska guy Gotta yeah yeah, yeah. Guy to write <laughs> that'd be that'd be <laughs> me and and actually you know most of the times there wasn't any ska guy at, at the newsroom you know for 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 the magazine like rolling stone and it's funny because um not too long ago i'd say a few months this this year earlier this year i met my colleague chief editor from Rolling Stone USA. And he happens to be also a ska musician or reggae, ska, Jamaican roots mm -hmm. music musician. And uh, and it was funny because Terry Hall and the specials are not, you know, haven't been so frequently uh, featured in Rolling Stone or Billboard or any mainstream music magazine in, in the US, I guess. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. No, not really. Yeah, but uh, but they did run a piece on Terry Hall, and because uh, Rolling Stone, ha you know, happens to have a uh, an editor who has a heart for this kind of music, but that's all totally random and and recent. He he hasn't hasn't been at the job for a long time, really. I think. I think pretty much the same time I have been at it, three years, maybe less than that. Yeah, I think three year, three if that years. We are talking about Noah from the Stubborn All Stars. Is he Stubborn All Stars? Was he in uh, Was he in Skinner Box too, or just Stubborn All Stars? I can't remember. I would say only Stubborn All Stars after only Stubborn All Stars after Victor. 
after Rick Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. In Defense of Ska will return in a moment. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I want to talk about your book um, about a decade ago, I believe. You wrote a book called La Manera Correcta de Gritar. Exactly, yes. And this is a kind of a history of ska in Argentina? It is. Um, it is the, 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 the history of ska in Argentina. And La Manera Correcta de Gritar means the right way to shout. And, yeah. and it's the title. It's it's a title from from a song of uh, Los Fabulosos Cadillacs. Los Fabulosos Cadillacs are the um, I don't know the specials of Argentina, I guess. And they started sure. the, this this thing in the I think they got together in 1984, and they their last show was two days ago. <laughs> So they haven't been together all these all through all these years, but they keep you know coming and going, and and they actually they 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 are sounding more ska now than they they sounded in the late nineties or early two thousands. Mm-hmm. So they are kind of back to it really, and um, so well again you know mixing my two passions i guess i i started writing this 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 book on on the history of ska part of it that i i knew about but i but i wasn't a a witness a direct witness because i was in the states you know or or i was too young also um part of it yeah i i was quick side question did you discover ska when you lived in the states, or did you were you already aware of it before you started going to shows in, in the states? Well, I, I was aware of it because in Argentina, and that's part of the the, the history 
we are talking about. In mm. Argentina, there was a first wave of ska that was really, really strong, and that was and that was very particular of, of Argentina. That's why this, you know, the book is about ska in ska in Argentina. But ska in Argentina, it's 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 almost the same same as talking about ska in Latin America because Argentina was was uh had had the first the very first wave of latin american ska with los fabulosos cadillacs in as i was saying 1984 85 you had the sort of in venezuela but that was, the, was slightly later than that and and mm-hmm. also the sort of in was was a bit more isolated in venezuela I suppose as yeah. Los Fabulosos Cadillacs just ignited a, a wave of bands, of ska bands in, in Buenos Aires. There was a lot of them in the mid-80s. It's it's really unbelievable. And that had to do with the influence of madness, and especially madness, more so than any, any other band. Madness was very, very popular in the 80s in in Argentina, it was mainstream music. This is in regards to Mexico. I don't know if this is true for Argentina, but I heard that because Madness recorded One Step Beyond in Spanish, mm-hmm. Un Paso Adelante, yeah. Adelante mm-hmm. that was a big reason why they that song became really popular in Mexico because of that Spanish beginning, or that was a, an influencing factor. Is that true? Is that your perspective? No, no, not not really. But I do, I do agree that 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 that's how things happen in Mexico and ska in mm-hmm. Mexico and ska in Argentina are very different. Two like two different scenes, you know, two different things, really, okay. two different scenes. And but here, I I think it has more to do with um with Argentinians being very. Anglophiles, uh, when it comes to pop music, and so if madness was big in England at the time, it was big here also. And see. not a lot of not not all music that was popular abroad was published as well in Argentina, but it was the case with madness. All madness records were uh, officially out in by you know by local uh, labels in in Argentina which was not true for the selector the beat or the specials or bad manners um so that that's you know you you you'd go to a to a mainstream uh, club dance club in in Buenos Aires in 1985 86 and you know the DJ will play uh one step beyond or our house or you know whatnot so would they play the english or spanish version or would it vary no no the english absolutely they'd play the english version oh yeah i don't think i don't think the spanish version was out here not at all no 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 you know i think you know the the complete that compilation uh, complete madness that was very big here and then there was this other one the, the kind of funny thing uh, ugly thing as well. It was, uh, I think, it was uh, called Madness uh, Twenty Greatest Hits or something like that, and it had 
yeah, it did really had 20 songs, but since the 20 songs didn't fit the vinyl, they would cut them short. So, <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> it's kind of sad. Uh, so that 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 one was very popular here as well, with with all these short versions of of madness hits. So were were they abrupt cuts, or would they just fade them out at some point? No, they 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 abruptly abruptly <laughs> fade them out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I I own one of those. You know, it's it's pretty worth money. <laughs> and they 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 also translate the. The, the titles, the song titles, but, you know, very badly, like literally and missing the point <laughs> totally. But no. Do, but, do you remember any of those? Uh, pantalones flojos, I guess. Baggy trousers. <laughs> uh, paso atrás. But no, no, not a lot. I, I should check that. I don't have it anywhere near now, but <laughs> I'm going to check it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, yeah, but um, Los Fabulosos Cadillacs came out of that. Uh, um. But let's before we before we get into uh, Los Fabulosos, um, let's take a step back. Um, back in the '60s, there was there was a ska musician. Oh yeah, uh, in Argentina, Ronnie Motulban, I think. Exactly, and 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 you know what? That's oh, his you know, story. From 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 the journalist perspective, and you guys are journalists as well, and 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 Ronnie, I mean, you know, I could, you know, anyone could write about Los Fabulosos Cadillacs and all those bands and my own band. That would that be easier still, you know, and that would be fine. We could do a book about that, and that'd be cool. But you only feel that you have a you have a great project, something like really interesting when you when you can tell a story that 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 no one else can, or not a lot of people could, you know. And and everyone in Argentina knows those fabulous Cadillacs, you know. You can you can tell that story nicely, but it's, it's not going to be any 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 secret. Um, but there was this character uh, that was that was more obscure. That finding finding out about him made me feel that I had a book, okay. And that's Ronnie Montalban. And Ronnie Montalban was an Argentine musician um, from Buenos Aires, also from the suburbs, who put out a, a ska record in 1969. He recorded it in, in 1969 and came out in 1970. And so it was like the holy grail, you know, that that's the holy grail I needed to 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 have a, a more interesting book and to 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 work on something that was more worthy for me at least. And and Ronnie Montalban is part of part of a world phenomenon that you know that uh, g- generated I I think by Byron Lee and and his uh, Jamaica ska. You can you know yeah uh, I'm sure you know that that, that there's versions versions of uh, Jamaica ska from all over 
or yeah. um, Shame and Scandal, you know, that kind of, you know, that, those kind of tunes that are that are from from the very first Jamaican ska, but but not the scatolites, but the more commercial for export part of, part of it, you know, which is Byron Lee and the Dragoners. And so you, you can hear uh, Jamaican ska versions uh, in Mexico by by Toño Girasco, that's another character, uh, from Venezuela, Las Cuatro Monedas, or, you know, French artists, Italian artists, more so Spanish artists. And Ronnie Montalban was the Argentine version of that. But the interesting thing is that he he kind of took it, I, I, I think he took it a step farther. Not, well, he was kind of Tonio Kirasco. Uh, I'm not sure if you know about him. He's uh, from Mexico, no? Right? And the one, the, the guy that did it in Mexico, I, I've heard that version. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of orchestrated. It, it has an orchestral quality to it while still having the ska sound to it. Exactly. It's, 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 yeah. It's like a, the org, it has the, the Esquivel orchestra thing. Yeah. Ronnie Montalban. I, I like, I actually like it. I think it's a cool version. Oh, yeah. Personally. Ronnie Montalban was more rootsy, I guess, in his way, because it, it didn't have that orchestral thing. It was more of a, you know, small band. And, but uh, the thing is that nobody knew about him. I mean, you know, he put out that record. It's called Señor Cannibal, Mr. Cannibal. And, <laughs> and he just vanished in the air, really. No, nobody knew anything about him. Nobody knew what, what might have happened with him after that. He's, you know, he jumped on the, 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 the ska craze. Uh, but I suppose as other artists of the era he didn't you know he just disappeared he it's not like he after 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 that record he didn't come out with a twist record or a or a or a limbo rock or or anything else you know or cha-cha-cha or whatever he just disappeared and so so i you know i i, I took it as a as a challenge to to find out who he was and and what what might have happened to him, and and I was lucky enough to 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 you know to find some some you know his widow because he you know I found out spoiler I found out that he he died in the early eighties before Los Fabulosos Cadillacs ever ever played and he yeah he died in early eighties and but I did find his son and his widow and some of his uh, bandmates and and it was uh, it was it was kind of a sad story but very interesting also and but we what we're never gonna know is how he got his hands on Jamaican music on Jamaican vinyls because you know that's the only way you could know about Jamaican music in the 60s, right? Um, but certainly he did had um, he also recorded a Desmond Decker uh, song, he, uh, Oil in My Lamp. He did. And so he definitely had 
a bunch of Jamaican records around. And we're talking about Argentina. I mean, for, you know, for the States or for England, that, that, that wouldn't be any, any news or anything, you know, special, you know, what would be so special about that. But uh, you, you got to think that there's absolutely non-existent uh, Jamaican migration in Argentina, I don't think, uh, none, none at all. Uh, and not many Argentinians traveling on holidays to Jamaica, not now, less so in the 60s. Um, so it's kind of a mystery how this guy got around to this and, and why did he think he could, you know, he could make a living <laughs> doing, doing it, but, uh, but he did try it and then he quit music altogether. Really? He, you know, he just, so I'm assuming the fact that it's so obscure suggests that it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't a hit locally. It wasn't a hit. But I did learn that he he, I mean he he did make a living of it. I mean he put out this record and he he appeared on TV a number of times. You know, huh. uh, he did. You know, in Argentina, uh, it's it used to be not anymore, but in the sixties and the seventies. If you were a working musician, your biggest uh, season was the carnival season, which is in February. And, you know, you made big money playing at the, at, at the big, big carnival parties. And Ronnie was a big number for like two or three years in the, in the carnival circuit. And he also put was um, he was featured also in what we call it um, um, we call it fotonovelas, which are I don't know I don't know if uh, you, you surely have this had this in the states, but it was like not comics, but uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's like comic books, but with photos. Graphic novels. Graphic novels, exactly. Uh, well, okay. he was featured in, in in a bunch of graphic novels with uh, you know with uh, you know photographed by uh, with uh, famous actresses and stuff. So he was kind of a celebrity. Yeah, uh, I've seen okay. you know autograph yeah. pictures of him. Uh, so he he you know he got around and and was certainly making a living of it i i spoke to the widow to his widow and he confirmed all this that uh, you know when they when they first got married uh, they you know that's that's how ronnie made his living so and the and the and the records the uh, you know you can still find if you're lucky enough because it's really rare and expensive but uh the the senor Carnival uh lp it is a collector's item absolutely but um but there must there must have been a lot of uh quite a good number of uh copies pressed because as i said that you you can still spot one of those. You still see it every once in a while. Yeah. 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 Not not that frequently, but it, it's very sought after, and no, nobody, you know, the people who have one don't don't 
don't don't let it go that easily but <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after this Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Connecting to Los Fabulosos in the early 80s, it's my understanding that there was definitely um, a lot of punk rock and post-punk type of stuff happening in the Argentine music scene. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is that correct? It is correct, yeah. Kind of like you're saying, like, what was happening in England so was was popular there so bands were were very uk influenced right oh yes yes the i am and then again everything in a smaller very you know much smaller scale so you had one ska band one stray cats psychobilly kind of band which are which were los casanovas uh another like joy division band and uh the more you know straightforward punk clash pistols band so you have like one or two of everything <laughs> and yeah. and they all had to share dates and play together you know like i don't know maybe in the in the states in small town not, not in new york or san francisco but in a small you know town in the midwest you got you kind of had the same phenomenon maybe perhaps um where you know you have all these uh, representatives of of the of all these music scenes uh but again at a, at a much smaller smaller scale and this it actually the i think the los cadillacs started you know it was more of a mix of uh yeah a bit of ska a bit mod a bit swing or loungy kind of what madness was doing in the in around 1983-84 kind of you know those those tracks that are like not not much of ska but more music to a point you know Uh, more loungy and before fabulosos though there was a band that were more of like a punky reggae band called sumo oh yeah that that's that's another big story well the thing is and not only sumo but the, there were a bunch of punky with some reggae uh bands that and the explanation of that is that the police played buenos aires very early in their history it must have been 1982 i think 1982 so it was very early before they were like you know really you know big international stars and that and it was also a small show at a a small club i'm not sure why that happened how they came here perhaps through i don't know not not sting or well maybe 
one of them had a connection, a, a, a family connection with Argentina. And I think that is true. I wasn't aware of that. I, I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that police show was very influential for a lot. You know, that, that kind of story that you, you have, uh, you hear so many times of, uh, like in Manchester, like after the Sex Pistols hit town, they, they, all these, all these, uh, all these bands are formed, and and the, and the, and and they actually starts the scene. Well, it, it was kind of the same thing here, and that you know, and the, and the lesson from the police uh, that that you could uh, mix uh, pop and new wave and reggae and a bit of ska and that it, it, it could work so well that that was, you know, some people took, took note of that and, and many bands uh, formed with that idea in, in Buenos Aires. But Sumo is a bit different because Sumo... Oh, they are. Yeah, had um, Sumo is a, an Argentine band that had um, that was formed by an Italian singer who'd gone to school in Scotland. Okay, from a well, very wealthy Italian family from from Rome, and he was sent by his family to to this very exclusive, very yeah, very upscale, ex- exclusive school in in Scotland, and he ran away eventually from from the school, and he ended up in London. The legend says that he worked at Virgin Record Store, and he had a he was really in a bad situation uh, around seventy nine. 78, 79 in London with a lot of uh, drug problems. And at a point he decides he has to cut from from all that if he wants to uh, stay alive. And he remembers that uh, he had uh, this schoolmate from Argentina uh, called Timmy from, <laughs> from, 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 from an English family. Uh, in Argentina, and Timmy had finished school and gone back to to Argentina, to the countryside, not to Buenos Aires, very far, like ten hours from from Buenos Aires, in the hills of Cordoba. It's a, a country in the heart of Argentina. Uh, I'm sorry, a state in the in the heart of Argentina. So, um, well, they you know they 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 are pen pals after after school and at a point he you know maybe timmy invites uh or advises luca that's the italian guy's name to come to argentina to get away from you know to to all what's to everything that that, that was going on in in london that that wasn't that healthy for him and he accepts he had a heroin problem um so he accepts and he tries and he comes to Argentina with a with a with an acoustic guitar and a bag with a lot of records, and that's another story that could be very small, but it isn't, because in that bag <laughs> he brings uh, singles by 
The Clash by even Throbbing Gristle, the industrial band. Yeah. Uh, reggae, a lot of reggae. Uh, New Wave, more experimental, less ex- experimental. Um, all of them stolen from Virgin <laughs> Record Store. <laughs> <laughs> and and I know this because it's a, it's a, because I. I don't know, it's something I'm interested in, but also because there was a, a, an exhibit last year and you could see the original bag that he brought at a, at a museum. You could see uh, the, the, the original bag and a lot of those records that he brought. And those records were, were had never been seen or heard in Argentina. And for the musicians that eventually work with uh with luca that was that was really influential that was very you know mind-blowing career changing to have access to all that you know that material that that luca brought in in his uh his good old bag and and sumo you know uh luca was a big uh reggae fan and also um, uh, a new, not not new wave, but more more like post punk uh, fan, and 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 he had a band in England also, not 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 known or or anything, but uh, he, you know, he he was he was really into uh, the Joy Division. It was a, a weird mix because he he'd mix uh, Joy Division with uh, with uh, Bob Marley. <laughs> And that that that's what actually you know what what sumo sounds like. It's, it's actually uh, it's those two worlds uh, work very very well together in sumo. They put out they, they they so he started the band here with with Argentine musicians and with a with an with actually a. a a, a girlfriend of his that came from England after him, but uh, but then she she soon left and went back to England. But then after after that, it was all Argentine musicians and this weird Italian Scottish guy, very eccentric, bald guy also, looked like a skinhead, and singing in English. And now take notice that in nineteen, I'm talking about. 1982 83 okay in 1982 Argentina went to war with England for you know uh, because of the Falkland Malvinas islands in the in the south um, in the south sea uh, south atlantic uh, so you had this guy which you know who's italian but singing with a strong uh, scottish accent in English, in English, in Buenos Aires during the the, the war with, uh, with during the Falklands War, so it wasn't an easy situation for him. But he, this guy, he, you know, he not only looked like a skinhead, but he 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 was a tough guy. You know, he was a really tough guy, and he took no shit from anyone really. Uh, and but uh, they 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 eventually after the war. Uh, more mid '80s, they became very popular, and I strongly recommend. You know, you, you got to be open-minded and be ready to listen to something very different. Not, 
you know, it's not genre, it's not pure to say, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not genre specific. Yeah. Exactly. It's not, it's not a reggae band. It's not less so a ska band, but, uh, but, but it's very interesting music. And, and, and it's weird. If you listen to it, you're going to be surprised that it was so popular at the time because it's very uncommercial also. There's another thing happening. I kind of want your take on, I mean, it could be a huge conversation, but maybe just kind of a try to just just how this impacts um, Fabulosos and what kind of happens after that. And that is the um, rock into idioma movement that's happening in the 80s. This push towards singing in Spanish and not in English. Yes. Well, um, exactly. And we just spoke about the the war um, with, uh, with England. And that's... That's the whole point about what you what, what you're saying because uh, because of the war of the war it was uh, you know English music English spoken music was uh, banned from radio. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, for for that year, and not only not only was banned, but uh, you know I don't know the the the, the whole war thing. Even though it was stupid war, like any war, I guess. Uh, but this was even more stupid. Um, I don't know. He brought up a, a more nationalistic uh, spirit, I guess. You know, as it happens. And so a lot of this, you know, as before we were talking about the that Buenos Aires had his own uh, its own uh, uh, rockabilly band his own uh, its own ska band its own post punk band well those were destined normally they they would have ended you know forever underground but when music in english was uh, banned from radio all these underground bands had a big big uh, chance to you know to become mainstream because that you know radios and radio you know music radio back in the early 80s was like you know much bigger and relevant than it is now for the music industry and so it changed everything you know it and a lot of underground bands as a sumo, like I was saying, they had a, a chance that they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have, they, they could not have, you know, you know, without the war and without the the English music uh, band. Um, so yeah, definitely, uh, Argentina had a tradition of rock being sang in in Spanish, and it's not. Which is not the same in was not the same in Spain and other countries where rock bands would sing in English, you know, like like it was the only way you could do it. But Argentina, Argentina's rock scene, which started in you know, I mean, in the in the sixties, you know, had this characteristic of being always very very much in in Spanish, really. So, but Argentina and the, this this movement to sing in Spanish that influences the rest of Latin America and Mexico in the eighties as well, right? Oh yeah, 
yeah, yeah. Bands like Soda Stereo and Los Fabulosos themselves and Enanitos Verdes, another very popular one. Um, Sass, uh, who else? Well, many, you know, a lot of those bands, uh, like, you know, new romantic, uh, pop, new wave, uh, kind of bands from Argentina started touring all around Latin America and they're, you know, they became really big. In some cases, they, they were bigger in other countries than in Argentina itself. Not so as stereo. So the stereo is very, you know, it's a legend in Argentina as well. But, you know, bands like Los Enanitos Verdes were, very, you know, so much popular in other countries than, than in Argentina. So it was, yeah, it, it was like, you know, pop music was a big export in Argentina in the 80s and very influential. Um, and Interesting, yeah. In that movement, Los Fabulosos Skyjacks were also, uh, you know, very frequent travelers as well and very influential for, for so many bands. I'm not sure if, 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 if for example, for instance, uh, the Sorten Público in Venezuela, um, if they learned about Ska because of Los Fabulosos or not. We actually did an interview, Horacio, and, and he learned about Ska through uh, like, you know, second, third generation dub tapes of like specials. That right. Okay. Some yeah. friend who happened to like had know somebody who knows somebody, you know, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. Real no context at all. Just like this is crazy sounding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but well, but yeah, the for Chile definitely they they heard about ska because of Los Fabulosos, uh, Uruguay, uh, Peru, or. Colombia as well. Well, they, they, Los Fabulosos Skyjacks, they played this year, they played, yeah, this very same year, Los Fabulosos Skyjacks played a show for 300,000 people in Mexico City. Huh. 300,000 people. Jeez. Yes. Three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they are that big. I don't think they, 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 they could not do that here in Buenos Aires. In Mexico, um, just to tie back to this sort of a uh, rocking into, into idioma thing, in Mexico, like that kind of, I don't know what, what role Fabulosos played in this, but, or Argentina in general, but like you have bands like Mana, mm -hmm. El Tri, Maldita Vecindad. Mm -hmm. These are sort of like the, the beginnings of like, we're, we're, um, rock bands and we sing in spanish and we're getting popular in our own country oh yeah was argentina like I mean, what you're saying about argentina being kind of doing this first and and those bands coming there do you, do you think that that in, had an impact in that what was happening in mexico oh it did absolutely especially interesting yeah. we were saying but we were talking about uh so stereo uh, yeah yeah they, they were absolutely influential yes definitely um, so Estéreo, Miguel Mateos, a uh, lot of, 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 of names from the 80s uh, in Argentina were, were very uh, big in Mexico. But Argent we're talking about the 80s and actually rocking in Argentina uh, had, a, had, a, had a, you know, back then had already a long tradition started from the from the 60s uh, 
um, with uh, people like uh, Spinetta and um, Almendra, uh, Manal, Pescado Rabioso, a lot of uh, a lot of amazing amazing artists from 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 the late sixties. That there was this um, all these um, bluesy psychedelic uh, kind of uh, bands that that were also very influential, but did not travel abroad almost at all, maybe to Uruguay, but no. So in the mid '80s, I know there's a uh, Los Fabulosos begin, uh, Los Auténticos Decadentes. Oh yeah, um, Los Pericos. They're a bit more on the reggae side. Yes. How popular are these bands getting in uh, Argentina? And how much do people understand that these bands are having elements of ska and reggae? Do they understand this, these components, or is it this is just pop music? Uh, well, you had a bit of everything, and you're missing one that it's very int- uh, important for us, which is uh, Los Intocables, the Untouchables. Okay. And they were like the second, like, like, if, if Los Cadillacs were uh, madness, uh, Los Intocables were the specials, were the more, the more rootsy, more pu- the, the, the pure two-tone uh, ska band in Argentina, right? And then, as you said, the, 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 the were Los Pericos were more reggae and Los Auténticos Decadentes, which uh, they mixed ska with uh, cumbia. And a bit of not 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 as much salsa, but cumbia, and and yeah, well, I mean, ska was a, a frequent word in in term in the in the eighties because, uh, if, for example, one of the the Cadillac's first earliest hits was uh, "Quiero morir tocando ska." I want to die playing ska, so. <laughs> <laughs> You yeah. know, you'd hear this on TV, like on prime time, and people, you know, and, and little kids would dance to it and sing, you know, the chorus. Everyone wanted to die playing <laughs> ska. Um, yeah, and ska, you know, ska is a word that it's used in ska songs. <laughs> uh, so, so it was a kind of a popular term, and 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 the first. Cadillacs and the first uh, Intocables, Untouchables, they were like militants to you know to you know they, they were like you know they 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 called themselves ska. Not only they they would play. You, you mentioned before Maldita Vecindad from Mexico. They 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 you know they did have elements ska some ska elements, but I don't think they called themselves a ska band. No. But uh not really, no. No, but um but Cadillacs and Intocables, they will, you know, dress up completely. They will copy uh, you know, madness uh dance steps. Uh they you know they they, they watch obsessively the um, you know the dance craze movie and they will you know they 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 won that, and they and they did it. Then they moved on to other, you know, to include other styles of music, and and and, and you know, it's a long story after that until today. It's almost forty years, uh, or thirty-five years. But um, 
but uh, in the beginning they they were like a, you know like the the total two tone dress up dance steps band i mean like obsessively copying not copying really because if you hear the photos of Skydelax, they they would sound more like bad manners i guess the, you know the first record because I guess only because it was too hard to copy uh, a, a, a madness, uh, <laughs> a madness song from the from 1981 or 82, right? I mean, uh, yeah. maybe once they're beyond, it's not that hard to 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 emulate. But but uh, you know, our house or the popular tunes are would be harder without a, a, a strong production. You know, but bad bad manners, some specials. Um, so people did know about ska. What they did not know, going back to your question, is that the you know they they thought, or maybe didn't think about it, but understood that this this was British music created by madness and the specials and bad manners. They did not know. The first thing about Jamaican music, you know, they had absolutely no idea that this actually came, you know, from the 60s and from this, you know, something called the Scatlites or, you know, Derek Morgan or, you know, Desmond Decker or, or anything else. They actually did, 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 didn't even know about uh, um, Ronnie Montalban, which was, who was local. Um so they, yeah. you know, part of the story, yes, they, you know, we knew part of the story we didn't know. In defense of ska, we'll return in a moment. Hey, everybody! It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA plus, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. I want to ask a question about, so, so in the 80s, you know, there's a bunch of bands. By the time we get into the '90s, and you know, like like you're saying, Los Fabulosos just played to 300,000 people in Mexico. So Los Fabulosos have become not only one of the biggest ska bands out of Latin America; they're probably one of the biggest rock bands mm-hmm. out of the entire continent. Yes, I know they had a big hit in 1994 called El Matador. Yes, um, and I know that they have collaborated with a whole assortment of people like deborah harry uh, david byrne um there's a there's a great song uh they did a cover of what's new pussycat with a fishbone that i highly recommend people look up on youtube oh yeah when did the change happen for fabulosos when did they become stars and i know they kind of pulled away from ska i don't know if it if it relates to them kind of incorporating other elements to their music but when did they become like real big well the thing is that they, you know, they were very big, very fast, you know, right from from mm. the first record, 
which came out in 1986. Okay. They were, you know, it was it was a craze. It was a dance craze, really. Like, you know, what it meant. Were they were they bigger than the other ska bands around them? Or oh yeah. Was were yeah. they all kind of big? They they were they, they were much bigger. Uh, a lot of the other bands didn't did never uh, get to record an LP, but Cadillacs obviously did, and Los Intocables también, Los Auténticos Decadentes also so but it was a craze and by definition uh that you know a, a dance craze uh, fades out quickly you know as quickly as as it as it, as it, uh, as it becomes big it also disappears <laughs> you know as you know it was a very very much like a dance craze and and Los Fabulosos suffer from that. You know, after the second record, they started doing not so well, the late '80s, and and also the Argentina economy was was very doing doing horribly horribly bad, and that was a, 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 a fatal combination. And 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 the, the Los Fabulosos went back to not being able to make a living off music as you know as much as they, they they had done before and and when they were like you know when when they tell the story they they kind of tell you that that you know they they got to a point where it was like the last shot the last very last shot where you know, if they did, didn't have a hit with the next one, you know, it'd be over really. At, at least as as a, as a professional, you know, way of, of of doing it. And you mentioned Matador, and that was it. That was it. It was like the big was comeback the hit, yeah. for them. And they recorded that in LA, I think. It was they, they were actually doing a, a greatest hits. Um, Album that they had to do because of a deal with a with a record company, uh, but they decided uh, and they convinced the company because the company didn't want to do this. They they, they convinced them to to also include a couple new record uh, tracks, and one of those tracks was Matador of all things, and and it was huge. That was very that that was really huge, and that. That's not ska, that but it is. I don't know. It's very rhythmic, and it's it's got a kind of a Brazilian uh, batucada. What yeah. do they call it? Like a drum, Brazilian drumming uh, backbone to it, and and it's also it was also at the begin, not the beginning, but yeah, well, the beginning of uh, of the. Um, MTV Latin America, so it's not the beginning of Latin of MTV, but yes, of MTV of a specific MTV Latin America, and the song had a great video, very effective, very you know, very uh, you know, the song was catchy and the video was catchy in its way also, uh, and it was it was huge. So the Cadillacs were were back. You know, with you know, 
little did we know that they were like on the verge of not playing anymore. But uh, but Matador was like all over, all over really, and and it worked very well with the you know with the sign of the times. Again, you know at at the time you had Mano Negra. I don't know if you're familiar with them uh, from yeah. France. You know doing this. You know, also they, they they were also graduates from the school of uh, of the Clash, and they were also yeah. mixing rock with, you know, with whatnot really, but with with a strong sound system, Jamaican vibes. There's definitely reggae ska elements, but also Mano Negra um, kind of plays everything almost to the point where i think maybe it might have worked against them a little bit because they were so diverse mm-hmm. they were like really hard to identify what exactly they were doing yeah well you know yes on the other hand uh you know the, the music we love oh, ska and reggae to a point are are a bit doomed, I guess, to be niche, to be yeah. scene specific, and to have you know, kind of a roof, a, a, kind of a low roof to grow against. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's a limit. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> uh, but for for people like you know for like like los fabulosos that. That, that that roof was too low, and they, they 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 were bigger than that, and so it was only natural for them to you know expand, both in the ways of expand musically and also in you know in reaching out to new to to larger audiences, and and I guess same thing with Mano Negra, you know they 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 are beyond yeah. any 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 scene limits or anything like that and they they appeal to to people who maybe don't necessarily identify what you know some some of the some of the messages they are they are uh, they are putting out you know and musically i mean you know if they you know you People who enjoy Manu Negra have probably have no idea of sound system culture or anything like that. Maybe some some of them do, some of them don't. Manu Negra, just a real quick sidebar here. Um, based out of France, uh, real big in Latin America, though, right? Oh yeah. Uh, not really that big in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I don't believe. I don't think they really hit the U.S. very well, but they uh, Latin America and Europe. I think they were very big. Well, you know, Manu Chao is uh, his. Uh, I'm not sure if he's he was born in Spain, but he's definitely from a Spanish family and fluent. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, you know, he's he's Spanish, really. He's Spanish. Um, so I think, and it's 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 multilingual music too, which I think is is uh, not necessarily at least historically it hasn't been a a, a a winner for a u.s market i think that's changed in uh, recent years but mm-hmm. historically you have somebody that's singing in multiple languages it just doesn't really resonate yeah with the, of course the mainstream u.s audience right yeah right. and also you know and, and not just not just the language but the, the stance and then the, the perspective 
of, of Manu Negra yeah. being so uh, third world and speaking so much to about you know immigrants and yeah you know I don't know there's a lot of there to identify with uh, from 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 Latin America and they came I think the first time they played Argentina was 1992 they 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 they, they played I don't know like a 6,000 seat venue but only with like 1500 people there I was one of them I have to oh. say and you were you were one of them Nice. I was with them. They and the, but they 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 came. They, they were brought by the I don't know the by the French government. It was like a, this official cultural thing that they came with, uh, like like the French Culture Week or something like this. And so it was not a lot of us there, and most of us didn't pay for it because it, you know there there was there was a lot of guests and. Uh, but 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 again, I think you know, out of a lot of people that were at that show, you know, they formed the band after the, the next week and they started playing something like Mano Negra or tried to play something like Mano Negra. It was very influential. And when you hear Los Cadillacs of that era, there's strong Mano Negra influence. And the same you can you can say the same about a lot of bands from Argentina and the rest of Latin America. There's a, you know, with Mano Negra, it's kind of a, it's more than, it's not just, it's not just a band that influenced, it's, it's kind of a style in itself, you know, just like the yeah. Clash was before. You know, it's, it's not like, it's not just punk with the Clash. It, it's, a, it's a way of approaching music, I guess, or rock or popular music you know that that this idea that 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 the wave and i, I and i never really bought into it but <laughs> i do enjoy it as a fan not but it, but it's not a, a path that i follow as an artist you know the idea of the clash that you expand adding more styles of music and languages and colors to it los cadillacs you know did the same thing and Manu Negra kind of also, um, you know, I prefer to progress concentrating on, on one thing, you know, you know, my way of, of, of getting better at music was, was never to add other styles of music to what I do, but to play better what I, you know, you know, my style. And so that, you know, that 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 kind of idea it's different i do you know i love the clash and i love manu negra and those fabulous skydelics but it's kind of a different concept now when so when did you form your band satellite kingston satellite kingston was formed in 19 uh, 19, 1997 1997 yeah um, and it's very much rooted in like traditional ska oh yeah, yeah well you know it was at the time uh, uh, yeah, it was kind of a at the time of third wave. So we, you know, we we we've been young during the the eighties two tone thing we were talking about before. We were all fans of Los Intocables and Los Cadillacs and Los Auténticos Decadentes and whatnot. But then, well, myself, I had the the Washington D.C. experience. <laughs> 
on me and my bandmates also had you know got got into the the, the more Jamaican rootsy Catholics jazz part of it and that's when the third wave did happen so we started you know getting we started playing actually and immediately we knew about Hepcat and the Slackers and the New York Sky Jazz and some and things like this and, and we were we were shocked, you know. We were like, This is you know, we this is what we're doing here and it's you know, it we're going the same direction. It's amazing. And but uh but yes, that there was nineteen ninety six actually. Ninety six. We our first show was 1997, and very quickly we started touring. That's that's how we got to Sao Paulo in 1998. I see. Now, I haven't, um, you know, when I'm looking up different bands from Argentina, especially over the last few decades, it seems like they they tend to be a bit more like either traditional or two-tone ska. I, don't, I didn't see a lot of like punk ska in Argentina. Is that a is that a correct perception? It is a correct perception. There there has been and there there are some ska core or ska punk bands, but the ska crowd here, which is the you know, as in every other ska scene, the ska crowd is the same, you know, the same people who play in bands, you know, <laughs> audience and musicians are the same. The same people actually are more into the, the the traditional, even more, actually more on the traditional side of things than even than uh, than two tone. Two tone is kind of a in the in the past a bit, but yeah, he, here is a. Why do you suppose that is? I'm I'm really not sure, but it, it is a good question. Um, I don't know. There, you know, this, at a point, the Scatolites started touring Argentina quite frequently, uh, and that was very influential as well. Uh, out of that, one of the biggest names, or the biggest name actually, here in Argentina, uh, was is Dancing Mood. Which is a, it's not a cover band, but it is a, a, a like a like a ska big band, like pretty much like uh, Imagine Eastern Standard Time, something like that. And they play mostly uh, Scatlights uh, tunes or you know Rico Rico's tunes or all you know or instrumental traditional ska. And they're very popular, but very highly popular. There's say their name again. Dancing mood, like like the tune, like I mean, dancing okay. dancing mood. And it's a it's a twelve to thirteen to fourteen musician band, just very much like mm-hmm. Eastern Eastern Standard Time. And uh, and they're they 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 became. Co- quite big really and very influential as well um just not 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 as much as los fabulosos skyjacks but cadillacs but they 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 
they, they, they are very influential and and I think that that was a big part of what what you notice yes there are scop uh, you know scop punk bands or scop core but they 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 tend to be more underground really uh, they used to okay. they, they, there is actually still I think that the biggest name on that area would be Espias Secretos. Uh, they okay. started playing 19 as early as 1991, I think, kind of on a on a. It's not. They're kind of a local, mighty mighty Boston's that kind of thing. Not not, not on the Operation Ivy end of things, but more on the you know the brass driven. Uh, Scott Core, um, Devil's Night Out, that, that kind of thing. And they do it real well. And they're still playing. They're still together. All right. So I think uh, probably our last question. Uh, Jorge wanted me to ask you, why is it that Argentina are world champions and all other bow to our superiority with a ball? <laughs> That's a <laughs> That's another good question. Um, he wants to know that, but he's from here. He should know. <laughs> what can I say? I don't know. You know, I'm too, I'm too inside of it to have a clear perception of of why this is like this. Um, what can I say? You know, you we we gave you Messi. Now he's playing in the states. You 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 know. You know, you know, by yourself, I guess. Um, I, I should ask you: Is soccer any more popular now in the states because Messi is playing in Miami? Do you even know Messi is playing in Miami? Uh, so I okay, I'm a bad person to ask because I really am not that interested in sports in general. Okay. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Um, soccer is probably more popular here than it used to be here, but it still doesn't compare to its popularity elsewhere okay well here you know when 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 you ask me about uh two-tone being popular in argentina and I, i'd say that that that's rooted in in because of argentinians are are, are are a bit anglophiles and even though we want to war with them but but we we, we have to admit that we are anglophiles uh-huh that that extends to sports as well, and you know, football being such a British institution, we embraced it very early on. You know, it's it's not only not not only is popular, but it's part of folk of, of, of local culture. But like you know, just like uh, barbecues and cows and tango, you know. Um, it's really that big. It's not a popular sport. It's it's much more than that, really. Honestly, it's a, it's a it's a huge huge deal. And part of it is because yeah, of, of our our conflictive love for all things uh, British. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Ska. To support the show, sign up for our Patreon. Intro and outro music by Slow Gherkin from the EP Lives. Additional music by Dan P. and the Bricks. Please rate and review the podcast and tell a friend. 
Follow at In Defense of Ska on social media. The book In Defense of Ska by Aaron Carnes is available from Clash Books. Order it online. Chris Reeves of SPI is our editor. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigon, leaving you by saying Ska now more than ever. Oh, Mike Park's going to be mad about this one. Oh, why is that? I didn't, I didn't talk enough. Oh, that's right. But you know what? It's not about what I had to say. Yeah. We were busy listening to what Daniel had to say about Ska in Argentina. And you know what? He had more to say. Back behind the paywall. Where, Aaron? Uh, it's called a Patreon. Uh, in Defense Scott Patreon. Oh. Starting at $5. You could go higher, but starting at $5, you can hear the rest of Daniel's. Starting at 5 you can always support the podcast a little bit more. I think you talked a little bit more behind the curtain, though. So maybe Mike uh, should invest in a in Defense of Scott Patreon account. Oh, Mike will never know unless he signs up for the Patreon. $5, Mike. $5, Mike. Next week, we have uh, our friend Josh Fernandez. Yeah, author of The Hands That Crafted the Bomb. Ooh. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.